Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the CleoCast. My name is Matt. And I am RC. And uh, we don't really have anything planned other than ranting. But first up... We like to call it musing here. Musing here. ranting. It's, yeah, it's, it's, we're just musing about a topic. We are named after one of the Greek muses. Yeah, so yeah. We're, we're just involving you in a discussion that we would have off the air anyway. Yes, which was the original idea of like the Clio Talks, which eventually got branded the CleoCast, because this is all we make at this point. Um because every time we record an episode, we spend about an hour to two hours just talking. And most of the time, that seems to be more interesting than what we actually put out. Yeah. But someone won't actually start the mic. I look, I just enjoy talking to my buddy. Yeah. But anyway, how are you? What's going on? Oh, uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fine. It was above negative 7 billion. So. Yeah, things are actually um, thawing out. Which yeah. Which is nice. My office wasn't completely freezing cold today, which was also nice. Yeah. I, I sit by a large, like, glass, like, window thing with a bunch of, with, like, doors to exit to the side of the building, and it's been freezing. Yeah. It seems to be a trend on yeah. the entire area. Yeah. But, I mean, it was weird. Uh, people didn't know how to drive their cars, even though you have a big SUV or a truck. I thought that's the reason you buy it is safety and ruggedness. I think there was something like, what, 27 car crashes all along the highways the other day? And it's just like, it happens every year, guys, like weather. Like, you can just learn how to drive in it. Or, I don't know. It, I mean, I can't really talk because there was one day I couldn't get out with my car, but I drive a very small, compact vehicle. Uh, when I need to go places with the vehicle, and I think it's safe to say the name of the car. Oh yeah, okay. I I own a Honda Fit. Yeah, <laughs> so you can like and, and I if, drive a Hyundai Tucson. Yeah. Uh, so me owning a Honda Fit, other than one day, which that was just because my like uh, complex didn't like plow or treat the roads or anything like that. It's been doing fine driving in inclement weather with the roads and stuff. Weird that I can do that, but someone in a Ram 1500 can't. Well, I was like at a stoplight, light turns green, I'm turning, so I'm waiting. Cars in the lane next to me are trying to go up this big hill in the ice a couple days ago when it was like snowing, and uh, it was right before the Bills Steelers game, actually. Mm. They just like one after the other, including a Jeep, could not get up the hill. <laughs> it was just a bunch of hazards popping on. It's like, come on, guys, you got it. Come on. It's like maybe a 10% incline, maybe. That's even probably too steep. So that was right before we went and destroyed some all-you-can-eat wings? Yes. All-you-can-eat wings back at Applebee's, guys. It is back we're, at we're, we're not it's getting $15. Do not get the shrimp. You will throw up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it will upset your tummy. <laughs> <laughs> but weird that um you know this is we sound like a broken record when we talk about this but weird that there's a lot of parking lots especially around bars that was the segue you're going with yeah okay i i don't know where did it... i was thinking i was thinking a better segue would be like you know speaking of your apartment complex and not being able to get out of it because of paving we're talking about housing. Then, then why, why didn't you do that? I don't know, because I wanted to talk about the hill for some reason. I but like, to talk we, about the we, hill. We, we ended <laughs> the bit about Applebee's. 
You, you, you could have done the transition instead of just leaving it to anyway, me. Speaking of housing and parking lots and zoning in general. Ooh, this is our this is our rant about zoning and housing. Ooh. So, for most major American cities, um, you can only, you know, go on Google Maps, scroll around, look at your average American city. Um, it is very well known that there is a massive urban sprawl. That urban sprawl is usually referred to as suburbia. Um, that was originally developed out of a bunch of different factors between automobiles, uh, racism, and a uh, feeling of being able to create a new segregated community um, with whether it's racial covenants or just pricing out uh, people of color or uh, if you're Robert Moses building bridges that specifically like don't allow buses to go under so people who are already economically disadvantaged can't get out to your do suburbs mm-hmm. um, but we're hitting the limit because look on Zillow instead and find those single family houses built in the massive sprawl of suburbia across the United States Find one that you can potentially afford and consider your commute, consider all of the factors around you, and also consider that, you know, it might be a sterile neighborhood in a uh, house built in, like, the 1990s with a bunch of, like, you know, cars parked in the street and a bar a half mile away and a grocery store a half mile away that you all have to drive to and realize that the land use that we talked about uh, in the land value tax episode, uh, we're not going to talk about Georgism at this point, but we have used land pretty poorly. I think I saw a chart the other day, and I'm not going to credit where I saw this because I don't remember where I saw this, but I saw the chart, and I remember the chart, and that's what's important, mm-hmm. of like taxation per acre of like a target versus a... Uh, like KFC or something, mm-hmm. you know, you imagine a Target versus a KFC. Target's obviously a lot larger. It's a big box, so it's got a lot more parking lot versus a KFC, smaller parking lot, you know, more dense in general for what it does. And it's just kind of like that usage that is used for the Target, the gigantic lot in like a suburban Target, you only get like something like 150000 tax dollars per acre versus the uh, KFC, which is much smaller, but like a probably similar volume, you'd get closer to like 500,000 tax dollars per acre because they're generating similar amounts of like revenue, but one of them is much more compact and smaller than the other. And it's just talking about how like even like the way our stores are designed, that target, if you just had to be a smaller store, but like taller like denser you know you'd get much better taxation per acre out of it well yes you can get that and also the same thing we talked about before if you're for example prairie village Mm -hmm. um this is a uh, now affluent suburb of kansas city on the kansas side so it's able to avoid being gobbled up by kansas city missouri because it's hiding across the state border Mm -hmm. um prairie village was built in that 1950s suburbia boom, relying solely on car transportation, solely single-family homes, solely, like, a strip mall and, like, a grocery store and a few parks. It's hit its limit based on the size of Prairie Village because it's only a few square miles. Um, 
and there isn't enough people to facilitate paying, you know, for its own police department, its own city, its own maintenance. Well, yeah, because if you think about it, uh, cities can obviously get taller. They can use the exact mm-hmm. same amount of area, but increase the density. You know, they can get taller. They can compact things. They have ways of fitting more people into the same square mileage. Just look at, you know, a New York City where it's on an island for the most part. But they're just able to go up and, you know, replace tall buildings with taller buildings and replace parking lots with buildings and stuff. Prairie Village has has been operating under the suburban mindset, which is instead of going up, you go out, right? Yeah. And they've they're a good example of when you hit that upper limit of okay, there's a river there, okay, there's a lake there, okay, there's There's a city border there. There's a city border. There's any kind of natural obstacle where you just can't expand anymore. Look at Houston, right? They can't expand more uh, because the ocean's right there. So they're kind of limited in that area. At a certain point as well, based on automotive transportation in all these cities, people don't want to do an hour-plus commute in their car. Yeah. They don't want to. And so basically there is an end to uh, the American metro area, and that is basically an hour drive from wherever that person's office is. Yeah, because you lose the benefit of the suburb, which is being 15 minutes away from the city core where all the fun amenities, you know, the bars, the fun music halls, sports arenas are. You're not 15 minutes anymore. Then you lose the entire purpose of the suburbs. Yeah. But – yeah, there is a natural breaking point you can start to see in examples like Prairie Village. Yeah, but we're not saying that the people of Prairie Village need to uh, like live in a live in a pod and eat bugs. That's not that's not what we're pushing. We're just saying that there has to be some sort of change developing uh, for the average American because the average American now can't really afford those homes built in the 1950s that you in 60s that used to be the homes that you would you know buy if you had a white collar job or you were like a like a well-paid blue collar worker um at that point you know take whatever job you have now uh look at your salary put it into the inflation calculator do like 1965 and see how much you know you would make comparatively then and use that to radicalize yourself um, on that. And that's not the blame, you know, inflation is an issue. But also, it's a supply and demand situation as well, where we don't have that lost middle housing. And that seems to be, you know, we need to pull people to the nail to get to. And I think I've talked about this before, but I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, I believe it was Microsoft's former CFO was in a Twitter fight with someone. Steve Ballmer? Maybe. I'd, I'd, He's the developers, developers. Dev- it's that guy. I, I think it might have been that guy. Yeah. Uh, it. If it wasn't, uh, don't sue me. You have more money than me. Um, There's really no purpose. I'll give you like five the cents. The lawsuit would cost more than we're yeah, worth. Yeah, no. Like, it, 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 Do you want the change out of my Getting Honda Fit? from a stone, baby. Um, so I'm guessing he is now a fan of living in Jackson, Wyoming. And Jackson, Wyoming, uh, which we've talked about in the National Parks episode, because we're just reaching out to a lot of episodes. Uh, I think we're, we're doing the Natural Parks, uh, National Parks, parks. Natural Parks. Uh, I, I think we did uh, Middle Class Rebellion was another yes. one kind of on that. Uh, we've hinted a little bit at the Land Value Tax episode. 
Um, also, some of our OG reachbacks to transportation and in Kansas City having a bunch of highways. Um, but he was arguing that, you know, people don't deserve the right to live in Jackson. Uh, and if you really can't afford to live in Jackson, go live in Driggs uh, over at the crowd across the border in, in Idaho. Mm-hmm. And there was people replying being like, how about you do the 45 minute drive up a mountain pass every single day to go work at the coffee shop. And at a certain point, you know, you need people to be able to live happy, productive lives. And you also need people to work at your coffee shop. And we shouldn't decide that the people who work at the coffee shop don't deserve happy, productive lives. Well, it's kind of like you never get to remove humans from the equation because you know oh we're gonna have an automated mcdonald's right okay well you need humans to fix the machines when they broke you know even the most robust you know robot designed robot run factory line still needs humans to make sure that the robots aren't messing up still needs humans to do maintenance it's like you're never going to get rid of the human element no matter how rich you are so you still need like people to not be homeless when they're working at the mcdonald's or yeah. when they're working at any amenity you might possibly want like the golf course or like you know unless you want to start working at it as a or, upper lower middle class upper lower upper class person yeah I, I i mean for jackson upper class person yeah uh but like you used to like the people who repair your roads mm-hmm. do your piping work at your coffee shop collect wor- the garbage collect the garbage they deserve to live within a reasonable like commute distance from their employment which involves servicing your community i think that the broader issue that we're running into in our day and age is that we've set up our housing network like a pyramid scheme which isn't necessarily like negative because it did get a lot of people housed in the Mm -hmm. 50s and 60s and stuff you know you basically have cheap developments, cheap suburbs being built up, and the you know money from that gets used to finance more cheap development and stuff. You know the the new sales help fund the new roads for the new developments and stuff. Basically, it's just the people buying in help pay the cost for the people who already live there. But the problem is, is when you hit either the upper level of there's no more room to expand. So now we just have to rely on the tax base and the housing stock that exists, which is not sufficient because the system is designed for it to not be sufficient. It's designed to be expanding constantly. Or when you hit the upper limit of people view it kind of, it's kind of like that, how like companies now don't exist to make products anymore. They exist to create value for shareholders. So it doesn't matter whether Apple's new phone sells well. It matters whether Apple's stock value goes up and creates value for the shareholders who own it. Like that's the, you know, A1 number one. Mm-hmm. Even if you have to lay off 20,000 people, you know, technically while well, your profits are going to go up because you're paying that few, much fewer people. So, uh, you know, the stock value is going to go up. It's kind of like that with housing where it's like, well, it doesn't matter how many people we're actually housing. We've completely separated the purpose of a house from 
you know, the actual like process here. It only matters what the value of the house is because it's a retirement asset, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's no longer, we're no longer able to use the house as a vessel to create new housing, you know, use sales of the house, cheap houses to pay for new development, pay for the new water systems, pay for the new police officers or whatever you need for a community. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's like, well, no, we need these houses to become scarce so that they raise in value, but also we don't want to pay the new taxes on that new value. I think California has like a proposition 14 or something where the, you know, housing property taxes get Mm -hmm. locked in so that you're both not paying for the actual cost of the services provided to you by the municipal water supply, by all this stuff, by people not being able to live in the area and provide those services for cheap. So they need to get paid more to actually drive an hour a day into the area. We're basically pausing people from actually feeling the effects of those costs just so their retirement asset can grow because it's not a house but the thing about the retirement asset is and especially in like i understand in very very high demand high cost of living areas that are seeing increases but if you own a home in like insert average america suburb here Gary, Indiana. Nicer than Gary. Like Naperville, Illinois. (laughs) Because we're we're doing expensive retirement asset. And your house, you, it's evaluated at a million dollars. You are, one, looking at a situation where you hypothetically have a million dollars. And we all hypothetically have a million dollars because I can say, I hypothetically have a million dollars. That's not true. You own an unrealized asset. Yes. You can't, you're going to need someone to give you that amount of money. And what's quickly happening is you're running into a disparity where the people who would have that money to pay for it or the ability to uh, get that loan from the bank are dwindling. And the gap between the people who would just rather rent that property or have to rent a cheaper property get higher so basically you have a two-tiered system that eventually people who do have all that capital will die off and who's gonna buy your million dollar house i think like a similar vein is also if you're like you know like an empty nester Mm -hmm. and you own a million dollar house and you're looking hey you know i'm don't need this much house anymore i can sell it for a million dollars and buy a much cheaper smaller house well there's no cheaper smaller houses on the market anymore like they they don't exist they haven't been built yeah. and people aren't selling them because they're retirement assets so you're sitting on this million dollar unrealized asset and you can't get rid of it and you can't downsize even if you want to without moving out of the area you know yeah. so you have these people who in any other circumstance if housing stocks were increased or if they had more availability would downsize and allow people who need the larger house to buy the larger house for like a larger family but they just can't do that because they have the exact same immobility in housing as people who are homeless have but but at at, at this point any of these arguments are untenable because if you're bought in no no one's going to eat this cost if you have a mortgage you are you took a bet a 30 year long bet if you're able to get a mortgage for a house a 30 year long bet that that house will be worth more than the money you pay in your mortgage going towards the principal and interest at the end of that 30 years 
you have tied yourself to something that you are hoping gives you more money in the long run than what you're going to pay per month for 30 years. And if that goes down, you're now paying for something that was your, your loan amount was for something more expensive, that asset depreciated, you are losing money. Mm-hmm. And people don't want to lose money. And there's still, there's millions of homeowners. There's millions of people who have been able to ascend to that world. And that is the issue, is you're going to have to fight them tooth and nail in order to find a way to accomplish that. And that's where something like, you know, like taxing the land it's on and doing increases for how much property you do own. So, you know, uh, like Slumlord McGee gets screwed over tax-wise, but the person who bought a house takes kind of a hit, but not drastically. Yeah, we just, I, th- I think we need to just stop subsidizing people's choices as much. Because if you are faced with the real cost of what your living situation actually costs, you're going to make different decisions, right? Like, you're you're not going to necessarily buy the really super inflated house that you can't necessarily afford if it's more clear that you can't afford it because, like, you have to pay more in taxes or whatever to actually, like, sustain the community. Or and and see, I, I think it's also similarly a, a similar problem with uh, the fact that people are buying in right now at the kind of maybe inflated price because we've had such a shortage. So any solution you would necessarily propose to the issue to kind of bring costs down, such as building more houses to bring the cost to bring the prices down, is all the people who bought in because they need a house. I mean, people need to live. People mm-hmm. don't want to just rent for the rest of their lives because, you know, they want that asset. But people who buy in now are buying in at the inflated price. So now if they get any housing built, if prices begin to kind of drop to make it more reasonable for the majority of people, I mean, then you're going to have them having an issue. So it's almost like life or death for them just the same way it is life and death for people who don't have any housing or are facing homelessness because they can't afford it. And a term that I first heard, I think like 10, 12 years ago was the term house poor. And that's always kind of stuck with me because, you know, people who are able to achieve buying a home in all likelihood might end up being house poor where you have the money to pay for the house, but that's, that's about it. Mm -hmm. You have little to no disposable income beyond that. And the way the American economy works, it, those stocks we talked about that like increasing, you know, shareholders' profits, most of that is through American consumerism. Like, I mean, it, it, NVIDIA, it, 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 that stock's been skyrocketing for the past few months. If you don't have people to buy the newest graphics card for their computer, because they're spending all their money on housing. What what does that mean for a company like Nvidia that makes graphics cards or what did that what does that mean if, you know, people can't sustain a bank account? What does that mean for Bank of America because literally they are pushed to their financial limit that they can't put in enough money that Bank of America could then use that money as deposits to then issue more loans? Consumer spending is is crucially important, and that's also where, you know, 
the same thing with student loans. But it, either either way, it, adding in consumer spending into the American market increases the economy as a benefit to all. If you make it so all of someone's wealth is all, all an average person's income is either slopped up by someone who is more wealthy than them who is able to achieve becoming a landlord and you're hoping that they spend their money well i mean the thing is is more people spending a little bit amount of money is more efficient and spreads more dollars than one person spending a lot of money because there's more people it it it, it have it, many hands make light work and it's the same thing for spending dollars well it it's like turning the shower on the hose on versus turning the jet you know it's like yeah. well it's a lot more but it's only going in one spot yeah it's not getting a wider thresh and i i think i think what you're saying with student loans is kind of I, I mean what like housing food and like utilities or something are like the major costs everyone has every month but yes it's a growing issue that it's housing student loans and vehicles like your car payments or gas all that stuff and, and car payments are hitting all-time highs where like yeah. having a thousand dollar car payments not unheard of and and that's just the issue is it's like it's eating up more of your income than it ever has before mm -hmm. like when your parents tell you about like oh you know i paid off my student loans i paid off college with one job it's like yeah because it they just it didn't eat up as much of your discretionary income, right? Because the costs right now, you get paid more than your parents did because of inflation. The costs are more than it was back in the past because of inflation. But also, they've exceeded the rate of inflation since back then. And also, student loan interest rates are like you know eating people alive if you don't reach the tax bracket for like the save plan where you basically don't have any interest on your loans and stuff so you have your housing costs being house poor necessarily mm -hmm. and then also like student loans and car payments because you need the car to get to your job because most american cities don't have any public transit you have to have a car so you you can't really like yeah. squib on that you need the student loans because you have like you have to go to college to get like a decent job you can become a plumber or something but you still have to go to a trade school and and even if you argue that you know we need oh you should have gone to trade school it's just like i mean you it's it sure all of us could have gone to trade school but you, you currently in reality you have an issue where people who are usually high spenders who are a big market, which are, you know, young people below the age of 35, their consumer dollars are extremely important to the economy. And you can't say like, oh, buy less avocado dose and you can get out of debt because the, the entire system is a revolving debt circle between credit card usage, which is... The credit card defaults are hitting an all-time high, massive car loans, paying off your landlord's mortgage, um, student loans. All of this is a revolving circle of debt, um, but the issue is and you can be like, well, you can pay off your debt if you don't need avocado toast or one of those things. It's just like, no, you need – people need to eat avocado toast because someone owns a restaurant mm -hmm. and that person's livelihood and their tax revenue going to the city – the county, the state, and the federal government, and also like them being able to buy something for their like buy their kids uniforms for soccer or whatever, that is tied directly to consumer dollar spending, 
And if people stop buying avocado toast to pay off their debt, the economy is going to take a bigger hit than you even expect. Because yeah. uh, we need people spending money. Because just think upstream of the avocado toast, right? You got the guys who move the avocados from the... Well, first off, you have the avocado farmers, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And there's a certain number of them employed. They have to grow a certain amount of avocados because of demand, right? So we got to supply that. Uh, so those are going to be jobs that get lost. You have the people that move the avocados. Well, we don't need as many truck drivers, so those are jobs that are lost. You have the people that work the logistics trains that like move supply from the trucks into the store. You don't need as many of those people. Mm -hmm. We don't need as many cashiers because there's less people buying the product. Oops, we've just got 1,000 people unemployed because demand you know, was decreased because people can't afford a product anymore. Yeah. Oops, sorry. Now all those people are going to be homeless. And, and if you don't think you're a part of that chain, think about your job and what you actually do. Because, I mean, we know the demographics. You're probably a, you know, a white-collar worker in an office. The situation that goes on is if you look at what your company actually does, if those dollars aren't spent at one location – and there's a ripple effect down, imagine how that would impact you. So if you're just like, people stop building buildings because there isn't enough tax revenue for the city to be able to build a new building, what happens to the like a construction project manager? Mm -hmm. Does does the construction project manager still have a job? I don't think so. If there's nothing to build. If there's nothing to build. What... And what happens when uh, the, the construction workers and construction project managers who all bought F-150s, now they can't afford their F-150s? Mm, probably what, not going to be able to afford their F-150s, are they? And, and, and what's going to happen? Well, Ford's not going to sell as many cars, are they? Yeah, Ford, whose top-selling vehicle is the F-150. Ooh, and then you got the United Auto Workers Union who employs you know, a yeah. large amount of people. And like they build cars. Oh, this is a hypothetical scenario. They're trying to illustrate, like we're not saying that you not spending all of your money will result in economic collapse. We're just saying that the less disposable income that exists for the average American, the more economic ripple effects you feel as an American, and it's a feedback loop where you know more impacts the economy because of less consumer spending because all that is felt hits you which eats more of whatever little disrestoring income you had before which keeps on spiraling down and down and down what we're saying is is that all you people making arguments about i don't want to pay off your student loans because oh, why are you getting student loan payments oh, you know i don't i pay taxes i don't want to have to pay for your it's like you already are paying for their student loans yeah. because the people with the gigantic ballooning student loans who are lawyers, doctors, teachers, any profession you want to name that's like a more blue collar, white collar, mm -hmm. but with a college degree, they're able to spend less on property taxes because they're not necessarily able to afford a house. So, okay, you're now making up for their difference because they're not spending as much to buy a house because they can't afford it. They can't necessarily buy as much at the grocery store, so they're losing all that sales tax. I think income taxes, you know, your student loan payments, I think you can deduct those on your taxes. So that's less tax money that's going to the federal government because they're having to pay it on student loans. Maybe you drive less because you can't afford as much gas. That's less going into the federal highway tax fund. And your local Local highway tax fund. I mean, you're going to you maybe can, go out to the movies less. You, you, you can't afford to take a vacation to the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. which, I mean, 
once again, you're going to argue cut back in your luxury because you don't want to pay for your uh, student loans via my taxes. Also, by the way, um, most of your taxes goes to the defense budget. Um, yeah. So, but, like, you're it basically, it's the same of going to a national park, like Lainey said in that one episode back in the national parks episode, where uh, you say my tax dollars pay your salary. That's pennies. Because, once again, back to what I said about the, uh, like, a lot of people spending a little there's 330 odd million americans all spending a, a little bit it, it varies on what region you're in but less than half of your income on taxes that is able to give the united states a multi-trillion dollar revenue stream mm-hmm. which most of that is used for defense so you're basically saying that to people who want student loan debt relief or, you know, a national parks worker or a cop or anything like that. Those other things are pennies on the dollars um, when it comes down to it. So also you would benefit anyway in the yeah. grand scheme of things because if you use the money up front – to wipe out all of that, that relieves a bunch of young people to spend a lot of money. No, not even young people anymore, because there's people who are hitting middle age with massive amounts of student loan debt. That would free them up to be able to spend more in the economy. So if you're saying that and you are insert your job here, that somehow relates on making money. I mean, the, the, there, there, there's more of an opportunity. To like, sell if you're selling countertops. Someone has a better opportunity to be able to buy a new countertop for their kitchen because they aren't spending X amount of dollars on something that was stupid that requi- that was required to be able to get into a specialized or non-specialized job, which almost always is needed in the economic structure because we need people to do things. We You can't have robots doing it. You yeah. need someone to work in your coffee shop. You need someone to work at the McDonald's to fix machines at McDonald's. You also need someone to do accounting at Insert Corporation here. These are all things that need to be done. And if you're a big Reagan fan, this is effectively supply-side economics, but you're instead of like cutting taxes, you're freeing up probably close to 500 or more dollars a month in discretionary funds that people will actually be able to middle class lower class people will actually be able to use to do the, so if you already believe in supply side you know reaganomics this is effectively that but it would actually free up money for the middle class and not money just for rich people which as we talked is like the shower setting on the hose versus the jet also in, in all likelihood the uh rich person could spend more money but also like that's an exponential in- increase so like a billionaire like if you had five billion dollars in cash and you spent sixty six thousand dollars, that's a lot of money. But that's the equivalent of someone making a hundred thousand dollars spending a dollar and thirty two cents. Plus, if we wipe the debt away for students, then you allow if you just allow the Department of Education who is writing these checks, you know, it's federally backed student loans, right? It's public institutions that are already getting federal money. You just allow the federal government to negotiate rates with colleges so we can kind of tamper down on the rising cost of education instead of just having a governmental blank check, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, government-backed student loan. You're 100% guaranteed to go to college, but you have to be responsible for the student loan. And then you end up paying $200,000 to go to law school. Uh, Instead of doing that, if we just allowed the federal government to negotiate those rates down or in general people wouldn't need to take on that much debt if they didn't want to have it free 
I like how we drifted heavily from housing because housing also well, factors. Because it, it, the thing is, though, it, back to the housing situation, this is, all gets back to housing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interlinked economy. You you aren't an isolated person. You live in a society. Yes. Uh, you can go live in the woods. That is an option. Um, you don't live in the woods. You live you in may fantasize about living in the, the woods, woods, but you, you don't want to live in the woods. Nobody does. Well, there's a few people who are crazy enough to do that. You insert average American who lives in insert average American metro area like Kansas City or Cincinnati or Minneapolis or even, you know, New York or California, whatever works. You live in a society. You have roads. You have houses around you. You have a, you live in an apartment complex. You go to your job. There's people at your job. You you work from home. There's people on your Zoom or Teams call. All of these people are all integrated into an economy, mm-hmm. which we need as Americans to grow for our prosperity because we basically have hitched ourselves to infinite growth, and you can't do that. If there is someone or things gobbling up discretionary income, which allows you to buy a new countertop or subscribe to that new app that you got a YouTube ad for, or, you know, go out to eat at your local Mexican restaurant, because, you know, all of those people are integrated into the economy who are integrated into your society, and they live around you as well. And even if you are a rich person who hides in Jackson, those people still live around you. They live at least close enough to be able to get to work every day. Mm-hmm. And that means if they're there, they're in that society and organization and economic structure with you. Mm-hmm. And their dollars are crucial to the economy just as much as your dollars are crucial to the economy because the dollar that they spend supports other people down the line yeah you can effectively lower your own taxes by just having more people able to pay more taxes if you have more people in a higher income higher tax bracket more people paying property taxes then the government won't need to raise tax rates to make ends meet such as our example of prairie village from earlier if you don't want to raise taxes to pay for the roads and you can't build new housing out, you need to get more people who are able to pay taxes in. The more taxpayers you have in an allotted area means more tax revenue for the government without having to raise the actual tax per citizen. So the more housing you build, the lower housing costs get, the more people that can move into an area, the more people that will be able to pay taxes in that area, the more people that will be able to pay property taxes, sales taxes, gas taxes, any tax you want to name, then the government won't have to raise taxes on that same population. It all gets down to it. Like if you're a Republican, if you're a Democrat, whatever, your policies ultimately get towards you just need more people living in the area. You don't need... You know, you need more people living in the area, more people spending dollars mm-hmm. in the area. There's um, less people spending money on, you know, rent because rent. It's like you have a landlord paying taxes. 
well, yeah, and I mean, the once again, back to the like many dollars, uh, many people spending a little dollars or one person spending mm-hmm. a lot. If you're taxing one landlord, you would make more money taxing everyone if they own those, own those properties individually less than you yeah. would by just taxing that one landlord. But it, this is maybe why we reached back to the land value tax episode because there are alternative solutions out there that doesn't yeah. re, that don't result in uh, flying the red flag and killing your landlord and then building a bunch of like... Well, I was just going to say condos. <laughs> and it, condos are a good solution as yeah, well. Yeah, I was but, just going to say let people own their own apartment. Yeah, and... and, 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 and no, I'm just saying that there's other solutions that yeah. won't result in egregious violence against the uh, top, you know, higher ups in a society. But you need to control that powder keg because if people feel more and more disenfranchised from their society, you'll have more and more radical issues either to the right or to the left. Well, you, and you see more like people on the right or whatever, like to complain about like antisocial behavior, you know, like people robbing stores or whatever. And it's just like, cause that's because people largely don't have any connection to their community because they're not allowed to own houses. They're not allowed to feel like they are participating in their community because they're being priced out. Right. Yeah. So it's like, well, why wouldn't I go rob my local CVS? Because it's not like anyone's ever done anything for me, right? But if you allow those people to engage in their, you know, community by such, you know, building more houses or like a land value tax kind of relieving their own actual individual burden to allow more development to be done. Anyway, uh, I'd like to preface this where, uh, with a we're not economists or political scientists. We really, I think it's. I mean, we have a podcast. Yeah, we're we're, we're, honest, we're, right? we're we're podcasters. I mean, we. I mean, be, feel free to share this because if you think it was interesting, feel free to like share it with people and then get people who know what they're talking about to correct us. Yes, and uh, then we can do a follow up. And episode. and if if we are wrong, please reach out because we we like hearing experts. We had Ben on to talk about land value tax. That's interesting. We would appreciate. Uh, people who actually know because this is just a rant that we're doing off the cuff these are just general ideas that float. we don't have scripts if you can't know. yeah no we don't have scripts also we don't really like we're just talking out of our ass here we we have we're not experts we have no idea what like exactly I will say i do know that supply and demand is a thing yes we, we know about that and i also know that i spent too much time on twitter that's true that is true yeah so that's all we have. Honestly, I didn't expect this to go this long. I think it was a very good conversation. Yeah. Please, if you want, leave a comment, send us an email. I, I'm going to let you do your scrub. I'm just going to yeah. say, like, genuinely, I think YouTube or anywhere. I know most podcast apps don't have a comment section, so that is why we give you uh, our email address every single time. Yeah. You can treat it like a comment section if you want to. If you want to just tell us you hate us, go feel free. I think our DMs on Twitter are also open. They should be open. If they're not, let us know. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's... That's it. Um, and if you're if we're wrong or you didn't like this, I mean, you, you can tell us. I mean, if you don't bring a good argument, we'll just kind of ignore you. Uh, anyway, all right. So this has been Cleocast. My name is Matt. I am unfortunately RC. And uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Cleo History. You can email us at CleoHistoryPodcast at gmail dot com. We're available where you get podcasts, uh, reviews, likes, and shares. Really help us with algorithm stuff. Yeah. So that's it. Bye. Bye.